Welcome to Joey Hates Movies. Are we going to cut that? <laughs> no, that's going to that's go at the end of the podcast. It's well. always a fun little treat. I'm Nick Limone, and joining me today we have... Hey, I am Coral Frederick. And, and I'm Joey, and I hate movies, but like I feel like I don't want to say my last name. Is it weird that I didn't and you did? I don't, I don't know. Well, see, you Have we still d- not found like a format thing? No, you got to do If we're going to be like a podcast that's on iTunes and stuff like that, you got to ha- let people be able to find you online. Okay, so it's T-H-I-M as in Mary, I-A-N as in Nancy. That's normally how I say it on the phone ah. because it turns out that one- I don't talk clear, which is probably comical for doing a podcast. And two, M's and N's sound very much the same on a cell phone. Yeah, that's why you gotta get talk military, dude. You try to. I forget. Always forget what the N is. It's not actually Nancy, but but Mary and Nancy are like. Do you know what the N is, Cole? No, Noxtrot. I don't think that's it. <laughs> Neko. Nuke. Nike. Nebula. Nebula. If someone told it, if someone's like N as in nebula, I'd I be wouldn't like, bat an eyelid. I'd be like, okay, cool. I, I wouldn't say a damn thing. I think it might be Neptune. No way, it's Neptune. I think it might. Be it Neptune. might be Neptune. It might be. Um, if only we had a way of searching. This. I'm not gonna look it up. That's fine. I, we don't need to look. No it one up. else is gonna look it up. No, no it's totally fine. Because uh, we're not here to talk about the mnemonic, phononic, 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 phononic. <laughs> The military alphabet. We're here to talk about movies and why Joey hates them. And our job is to see if we can find something that he might like or just expand his horizons a little. Last week or last time we had an episode, it was, what did we talk about? Was it seven? Was that the most seven. recent? Yeah, that was it Coral's was. pick. That was I, seven. I have notes, actually, so so we can see how, how well we did in terms of time frame. Uh-huh. Because, because I, I do, this is... Could fully write. I, I, I keep a notebook for all the movies. I feel mm-hmm. like it's, it's a nice. Do you date it? Thing. I do date it. Seven was uh, January twenty fourth. Okay. That's right after I had my butt surgery, and Collateral was uh, three seven. Yeah, and that is so like five six weeks. And Collateral is Not my bad. pick for oh this. You didn't say the movie name yet. Yeah, it's Collateral. They saw it in the title. It's Michael Mann's two thousand four thriller, Collateral. Joey. You probably have never heard of this movie. N is for November. Fuck. Really? Yeah. Oh. Hmm. What did you think Collateral was about, Joey? <laughs> um, I thought Collateral was about um, uh, a person who needed uh, a bank loan. So they had to put up Collateral. And they had problems finding the Collateral because like, no one would co-sign for them. So eventually they put up their child. And then uh, Liam Neeson took them. Is that actually what you thought the movie was about? I, I, you, I or is it more so that you had just never heard of the I movie? I didn't. I didn't prepare for that question. No, that's totally fine. I, I honestly thought it was not that far from what you just described. That sounds I like a. That sounds like a seven pounds two kind of yeah. thing. I that thought. Joey described. I thought the titular collateral was someone's family. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta put up your family, or you'll never. Yeah. Hey, yeah. You know what? I finished watching the movie. I still don't know what the collateral was. Really? <laughs> it's a strange title. Uh huh. I feel like, but I feel like you can kind of like, yeah. There's probably some collateral in there yeah. somewhere. Like, I, it's I, taxi. If it was called Collateral Damage, I think I'd be more into it. But that's a different movie. Yeah, isn't that so. the one with Glenn Close? I think so. Yeah. There's another collateral movie that I saw. Wait, no, that's Damages, through. and that's a TV show. Oh, okay. I thought it was based on the sh- the, the movie. <laughs> 
It's like when someone damage. titles their song something that has nothing to do with the song. Wait, we're going to get in trouble because Collateral Damage, isn't that like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie? I oh, I wouldn't know. I don't it's, know. It's November. It but you were very close, Joey. <laughs> I was because yes. what, what, what actually? Collateral. Give us all a synopsis, Nick. Stars Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx, Jada Pinkett Smith, and Mark Ruffalo, and it tells the story of a cab driver, played by Jamie Foxx, who finds himself the hostage of an engaged contract killer played by tom cruise as he makes his rounds from hit to hit during one night in los angeles and i had personally seen this movie when it came out in 2004 in theater with my mom because she was a big tom cruise fan it's probably not a movie i should have watched at that age but i guess i was probably like a decent age 2004 you were like what 12 yeah it's not terrible. Not terrible. It's yet. not terrible. But honestly, like I hadn't remembered a single thing that happened in this movie. But I just really like movies that take place in like one night, mm-hmm. or it's like a set time frame. You're like, all right, we only have from sundown to sun up. Let's do this. Yeah. Cole, had you seen this movie? I had not. I knew very little about it. What What did you think this movie was about? We never really have this yeah, opportunity. I, I thought it was some sort of like extortion or a hostage scenario mm-hmm. and a lot of car chases. One of them's in a taxi. Jamie Foxx has loved ones on the line. Tom Cruise is mean, driving around. Yeah, yeah. It's nighttime, shooting guns. Hell yeah. There you go. Now, did you like the movie? Because we never really have this opportunity. Yeah. Yes. Did you like the movie? I, I didn't. Yeah. I was I was just deeply bored by the premise and the tone of it. I I liked seeing Los Angeles at night in a movie. That's that's fun for me. It's always sexy. Yeah, and there were there were moments I guess that worked for me. I just mm-hmm. I just found the the overall vibe of the movie just really clashed with what I wanted to be watching, <laughs> I guess. Now I feel you. Yeah. Now Joey what did you think of the movie? So, no, I was a little trepidatious uh-huh. because uh, Coral admittedly did watch the movie a night before I did, uh-huh. which is why we're recording this a day too late. That's definitely my fault. Um, and she's like, ah, oh, man, it's, uh, it's a movie. And I'm like, fuck, Nick, why did you do this? I kind of just chose this one at random. I should have chose Heat probably, but I was like, eh, I haven't seen Collateral in a long time. so I'm glad that we're doing this for you. <laughs> no, I think it's fun. Um, I... So you see, yeah. So Coral, Coral gave me a little like a head nod and a little indication that she she wasn't super into it. And I'm like, I feel like my taste mostly aligned with Coral's. Mm-hmm. I am a little less excited to watch it now. Yeah. And I feel like I remained a little less excited to watch it for the first 15 minutes, and then the last hour I was like, oh no, I'm actually into this. Yeah, I think it's a it's a kind of cool movie if you can like I, I like the I like the premise. I think it's a very strong concept. Oh, cab driver who drives around a. Uh, Hitman, unwillingly, I want to see where this goes. Hear hear me out. Um, I really like Los Angeles. Yeah, I think Los Angeles is the strongest character in this movie to some extent. I really like Los Angeles. I think that's no surprise to anyone who's like in our Discord or like hears me rant on the show. Uh Almost like a lot of times I think that I talk about the city from like a from like a uh, out of a place of comedy and make hyperbole of it but yeah. but but deep down I genuinely love LA. So when a movie opens up 
and it's like uh, Jamie Foxx is talking to 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 Jamie J- Jamie Pinkett Smith. <laughs> Jamie Pinkett Smith, yeah. J- Jamie Pinkett Fox. One of my notes <laughs> actually said uh, <laughs> a Jada Pinkett Fox question <laughs> mark. Um, and, and they're just like debating about which freeways they should be going on. I'm I'm just I can feel the part of my Los Angeles brain that's slowly stroking itself. Yeah, I was wondering like that was a scene that I watched that I enjoyed in that moment, but I wondered how much of it was just because I knew what they were talking about. I know exactly what they're talking about. The literal exact problem. That 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 first scene of the movie feels more like it was written by Larry David than then then it belonged in like a, a thriller like a like a true crime thriller almost yeah. but how did, how did you feel about uh his name is max played by jamie lee fox wait jamie lee fox <laughs> jamie lee curtis <laughs> <laughs> she, she's married jamie fox jamie fox plays max and jada pinkett smith plays annie a defense attorney mm-hmm. i liked their uh dynamic at the beginning i thought i thought jamie fox did a surprisingly reserved job with his role. He did a good job, which I think he got a lot of like nominations or buzz about uh, his acting in that movie. And it, it seemed fine. Yeah. I feel like I always have a hard time, like immediately liking a character who hits on the first woman in the movie. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it felt very realistic. He wasn't particularly witty. He was just like very respectful. He was like, well, I'm just going to do my job. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, well, I do kind of like her. So let me see what I can it, it, let me see if I can make a move in a way that's not horrible, you know? Yeah. And and I I appreciated his his candor. He kind of likes her, but he's also kind of very bashful about it. Yeah, he's that and that's who he is. Like he is a quiet dude. He is the kind of dude who would never really stand out and make an impression in public. He's a dreamer. He is a dreamer. Mm-hmm. And he he keeps a little a little picture of his vacation like Right on his uh his uh what's that called the sun the visor dashboard yeah no, the, not the dashboard yeah the sun visor and and first you think like oh what's he trying to, is he trying to buy an island that was my first I was like is he trying to buy an island what a weird goal but uh no you you find out that his dream is to open the island limo service which he divulges after being pressed by Jada Pinkett Smith and he's like hey my dream is to run a limo service he's remarkably young for a very important DA. I feel like DAs can be pretty young. I have no frame of reference. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know. But Jada Pinkett Smith, like, I feel like she is whatever you immediately think she is. Like, I, yeah. I think that she's kind of ageless in that respect, mm-hmm. where if you think she is a certain age, that's just what she is in the movie yeah. from then on out. And I, I kind of like that about her. Um, and she's, like, super strong, too. Which she's just like, nah, I got my shit. I got to do my thing. And, hey, also this cab driver is kind of cute. But but regardless, back to Jamie Lee Foxx's character. Jamie Lee Foxx. Jeez, I'm going to do that a lot. Jamie Foxx's character, he wants to start an upscale limo service that makes you forget you're in a limo. Like, it's that luxurious. Is that something that sounds appealing? No, that's confusing (laughs) to me. I feel like if I'm going to be in a limo, I want it to feel like I'm in a limo. Yeah, I don't want I it don't, to be. It's, and also, it looks it's like he was looking at pictures of like regular E-class Mercedes. Yeah, like, those also aren't limos. What what service could he possibly offer that would make it so that high caliber business people just don't want to leave? And how is he going to get that clientele? 
right off the bat. Like you, I feel like you got to know people. You have to be working more well, in I that mean, industry. Motherfucker can't even get the money. He got the DA though. The DA slid into his cab. Because you just got to get lucky. Happened to need a cab. She's not going to call a luxury limo service the yeah, rest of true. the time. And, and I feel like that's the most dated thing about this. Like one of the most yeah. dated things. That's one of the most dated things about the movie is the idea of a, a taxi cab service with like no other competition yeah. in a world where there is no Uber or Lyft. Yeah, hold on, full stop, taxi cabs, period. Yeah, they should yeah. do like a sequel or a remake where it's an Uber pool and there's like a whole group of people in that car. <laughs> oh, Coral, you know that's bound to happen. <laughs> I'm really into that concept, Coral. I feel like um, th- like them. this movie isn't popular enough to have that be like a really dang college humor video, but I feel like... I feel like that could be a really good, like, YouTube short script. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it just sounds like that movie Escape Room to some extent, but mm-hmm. you're just in, a, in an Uber but, l- pool. But also, like, man, I can't believe uh, Jamie, um, Jamie Spears' knowledge <laughs> of, uh, of Los Angeles because that motherfucker literally has MapQuest downloaded into his brain. I feel like people were like that, though, back in the day. Like, I feel like yeah. there's still people like But he like was kind of rain manning about it. Like, it's going to be seven minutes. I don't know about L.A., but I feel like any cab I've taken, like, in New York. They know they, their shit. They know it so crazy well. And that's going from, like, borough to borough. They know uh, the eight ways to get you there. One thing that, like, kind of stood out to me since I started living in L.A. is, like, I mentally started tracking where the night took Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, he dropped her off in Glendale, where we used to work. Oh, like, really? It's right off that main street of Glendale. So uh, most of that movie takes place in a very small part of Glendale in Koreatown, yeah. in downtown by Staples Center. And then there's also a small scene in Ventura. Yeah. Cool. So I was right, which is very exciting because I've been living in L.A. for two years and I'm very excited because I'm like, I know where this is. I'm important. I know exactly where this is. I have problems watching L.A. based movies because I'm so masturbatory about it that I just want to be like, (laughs) I know where that is. Right. And then I start thinking about where they're shooting, like what freeway overpass that is and not uh, the movie. (laughs) And I think we're kind of skirting around it a little bit. But for the most part, like. L.A. is featured prominently here, and I think it's portrayed with a, a relatively accurate lens. And uh, the thing that's cool about this movie, like, it reminded me of Drive right away. And obviously, Drive was probably inspired by this movie in that once he's delivering uh, Annie to her, her destination, you have these beautiful night shots of L.A., and it's just like this love letter to the city. And I was just like, this is just cool. And it's set to some music, and it's like, oh, I can get, I can get the vibe here. Uh, and one thing that I kind of glossed over real quick that I really like is when Jamie Foxx uh, speaks in Spanish to the like little local uh, gas clerk, and I'm just like, I like Jamie Foxx's character <laughs> in this. Like, he's a dude who took the time to learn and speak Spanish because he probably has to deal with a lot of cab drivers who are Mexican. So I'm like, this makes sense, and I like you more for it. We've made it a long time without really bringing up Tom Cruise. <laughs> That's because Tom Cruise doesn't get introduced for like 25 minutes or so. It, f- it felt like it took a while. It, fe- it does feel like it takes a while. And then when Tom Cruise gets introduced, the first thing I think about is like, did they not have good hair dye? Oh, I thought his hair looked great. I thought it was a very good I thought it looked look good. for him. 
Oh, no. I think he looked awesome. I feel like if I was Tom Cruise, that would just be my permanent look. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When I watched this movie, I was like, if Joey could pick one look and just go with it for the rest of his life, he would be Tom Cruise's (laughs) character in this movie. Well, see, now, I thought that you knew more about this movie uh, than you did, and I thought that you, like, wanted me to watch this to like do a character study of how of like any identification that I had with Tom. Oh no, absolutely. I was familiar with his character before, like since my last watch. And I'm like, I feel like Joey would really like Tom Cruise's character, but we were actually a little bit wrong. He's introduced right at the beginning of the movie. We have a scene with Jason Statham who makes a a quick cameo to drop off his briefcase. Mm -hmm. And fun fact he actually is technically playing his transporter character as like a little homage to the long-running transporter series that Jason Statham, Jason Statham is known for. He's just dropping off a package, though. It's just a fun little, fun little thing. Do you know who that is, Joey? No idea. He's the British guy, the bald British guy. He talks like this. No, he doesn't talk like that. He's that in bad. he's in a lot of the Fast and Furious movies. And he's oh, in Spy. I, I vaguely know who that is. He's yeah. the angry British dude. He's become like a caricature of himself at this yeah. point. That's always fun. But yeah, we we are introduced to this mysterious Tom Cruise, this Silver Fox Tom Cruise. But he kind of falls by the wayside in in favor of uh, Jamie Fox. But then after he drops off Annie, after Max drops off Annie, he's about to drive away when. The, I guess, coincidence of a lifetime. He, Tom Cruise gets in his car. What's his name? What's, what's his, Vincent. Vincent. Vincent gets in his car and it almost didn't happen. It's like he almost escaped the events of the night. But then he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I got you, man. Come on in. I'll take care of you. I feel like this movie has chronic, almost, this movie never happened syndrome. And I think that's like, if she never, you know, like, if he just listened to her and took the other freeway would have missed tom cruise if he would have if she would have not come back to give that business card would have missed tom cruise if motherfucker would have parked 10 feet forward (laughs) from that window the whole movie doesn't happen like and i think that's the the basis that movies are built on though is these coincidences that build to bigger moments there's only one coincidence in the movie that i think is actively bad and hurts the movie as a whole but we can get to that in a little bit but, uh, Cole, what was your impression of Vincent when we first met him? He, I didn't like him. I mean, he just seems cold and fake. And I don't think fake might not be the right word, but it this disingenuine person who thinks the fact that they are a bad person makes them above the human race is the vibe I get. And I'm just not, I'm not interested in that type of bad guy. Mm. Well, what about when it's put in direct opposition to someone who I think by all standards is considered like a good person? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think we're we're not really supposed to like like Tom Cruise. I would never call Jamie Oliver a good person. Really? You don't think he's a good person? Why is that? Because he lacks, like, he just exists. I don't, I think you can be someone who is like not noteworthy but still be good yeah like the world would be a worse place without them kind of thing and i think very much so that is the case with max and he's timid and shy but he's wicked smart and super useful especially for people who do need to get around la but outside of that like 
he has his own dilemmas. He has his own problems. His mom's in the hospital, and he, he's trying to do all, all sorts of things. So I, I would consider him a good person, and, and that's why I think I was so enthralled with the movies because it's this like weird game of cat and mouse where the cat and mouse are tra trapped in a cab for most of the night, which I think is kind of fun. And over the course of the movie, Vincent kind of like, he's like, this dude is kind of like a, for lack of a better terminology, I don't know, I'm not even going to say, he's just a, a very timid, shy, quiet dude. And Vincent finds ways to provoke him to kind of stand up for himself to some extent. And it's those moments, moments that I think this movie is so weird. Mm. I... Yeah, weird's right. I think if I was um, film professor Thimian, mm -hmm. um, this would be the movie that I would want to show people when we're talking about uh, foils. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect example of a dramatic foil. And I can I can't yeah like I mean I'm sure there's a bunch of other great examples that are used over collateral, mm -hmm. but but in my mind it's hard for me to 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 fish for one because just just seeing how. They are polar opposite characters, and then the the movie. I th I think why I enjoyed this is because it was almost. L I didn't like the thriller elements mm -hmm. because I felt a lot of it was like, eh, or like cheesy almost. I could see that, but I did like the the character study of the film because you have these two complete dramatic foils who. Uh, you know, through the course of being cosmically intertwined for a night, reflect so differently on each other's lives and start to take on each other's personality traits and balance each other out. Like, um, uh, Jamie Heineman learns... <laughs> <Your butt. laughs> I'm really running out of James. <laughs> I don't know him anymore. Um, uh, Jamie, whatever, whatever the fuck. Um, Max. You know, Max really learns, um, you know, how to come out of his own shell and embrace all of his character traits that he's not as a direct result of Tom and um, you know vice versa as, 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 as the movie wears on um, Tom becomes less of a, of, a, of a machine of a robot and becomes more uncertain so you see like this weird um, almost looks like a, like, a, like a cross charter supply and demand something where, where they, they kind of meet in the middle and then start going on opposite ends and they're both learning from each other which is cool yeah and, and i think that the moment that the movie finally starts is pretty fun it's you know uh vincent offers max six hundred dollars to take him exclusively to his six destinations throughout the night and after a little hesitation max finally agrees because like that's a lot of money he usually makes like 200 bucks in a night and also he could have said any number and Vincent would have been like, yeah, that's fine. So Vincent definitely undercut him oh, still. Oh, absolutely. Which is super fascinating <laughs> to me. I'm like, oh, he's still trying to leverage anything he can. And just like, well. Yeah. Well, at hey. the other day, I mean, why? I mean, yeah, he could have asked for whatever because Vincent's just going to kill him. But you know he's making so much more money. Yeah, if you're that. a hitman and you have five or six targets in a night, that's a big payday. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how often he works. He's, yeah. It seems like he's pretty good at his job. Yeah. Um, but the, the well, big—he's he's presented almost like, a, like a like a non-human character. Yeah. There's he's, so many times where he seems like a superhero. There, there's shots where like it feels ripped out of the Terminator, which I've never seen, so I can't reference. What. 
No, he, he yeah, I, I think that he is like a force of nature. He is almost godlike in his like evilness and sheer ferocity. So I, I would probably liken him more to something of a demon or the devil personified because he's not horrible as in like this guy stomping on babies' heads and, you know, uh, hailing Satan everywhere he goes, that sort of thing. That's my quickest reference. And he is sly in the way that like a biblical devil is in that he is the most beautiful person in the world and he knows exactly what to say to pull at you and get you to do exactly what he wants. He understands human nature and knows how to manipulate it to his benefit, which I think is kind of cool. Are people supposed to like Tom Cruise in this movie? I don't think they're supposed to, but I think they do because it's Tom Cruise. I think he's he's meant to be a charismatic villain who uh, is never his villain villainy is never questioned, but that charisma pulls. I guess him. yeah, like yeah. he's cool. Yeah. Like he's just like he's hot, he's got a silver tongue. He's like he the Tyler wins. Durden of 2004 where every teenage boy wants to be him without realizing all the problems with him. Really? Teenage Boy is an interesting reference point for me because this movie didn't feel youthful or cool to me. It felt like a movie that dads think is really exciting. Mm, why do you say that? I feel like there's a an intellectual tone to it that isn't always... I don't want to say isn't deserved because you don't need... You, if that's the tone of your movie, that's the tone of your movie. But... It, it intentionally sets itself apart from a lot of more fun kind of romp uh -huh. thriller movies. And I just, I, it seems to me like it's a movie that people will praise for its pacing and its, its quiet moments and things like that. So I don't, I don't get any teenage boy vibes from this movie at all. Not so much that, but more so he's like a character that... I think men, not just teenage boy, would be like, oh, he's a badass. He's a cool dude. Like, I want to play him in the next Call of Duty game. I like, feel that like type. I don't want to be yeah. friends with anyone who thinks that a serial killer is cool, though. I think he is cool, but I don't think he's a good person. Like, he's just a professional. He's good at his job, and he looks good doing it. I feel like uh, watching it under a modern lens, people would like his character because he's. Um, it almost feels like so many things that Tom Cruise says could be written on Reddit today, in yeah. like in like an, in like this weird, edgy, not intending to be modern but now modern tone, and maybe that's just because, um, like, I think nihilistic yeah. ideology has become more mainstream and and something that has been co-opted by, um, internet men. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that we've been exposed to more now since 2004. And I think that's kind of one of my problems with Vincent is this, like, faux intellectual ideology that he touts wherever he goes. It reminds me a lot of True Detective, Matthew McConaughey's character, in that he goes on these kind of tirades of talking and condemning morality and what do you little people think you know about what it means to be good and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But really, you're just spouting these things to sound superior without anything really backing you up like he just seems like an edge lord yeah. <laughs> to some extent granted i don't want to tell him that to his face because he is a badass still but he comes like his his morality is based on like this weird 
before it existed internet edge lordism. What would like He's a dude that you wouldn't want to meet from the internet though after you get into a disagreement with him. Like I don't know, Coral, can you think of a way to like describe that without modern terms that we use? Because like what well, I struggle to think how someone in 2004 would would frame this same argument because we're using such modern language it feels like. I think I think when Nick said a faux intellectualism that you use as a tool to validate your sense of superiority. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty accurate. Like he just he has the swagger to walk into a place and say I'm better than you. Also, I'm going to hold a gun up to your head and say, I'm better than you. Don't you agree? It's like, well, yeah, yeah, of course I'm going to agree with you. And then in complete contrast with, uh, with Max, who is effect- effectively his slave throughout the rest of the movie, it's like, yeah, dude, I'm going to say whatever you need me to say so that I can keep my life. And over the course of the movie, we see that tension begin to like reverse almost, where Max is having a harder and harder time just like, you know what, I don't really care anymore, so if you're going to kill me, just do it at this point. Mm. And then, yeah. And, and I, I see we see an arc for Max, which I think is cool, because he's a weakling, essentially, who finds a sense of self and is like, hey, wait, I do deserve to stand up for myself and stand up when for the things I believe. When he meets Pablo Escobar is really when that change happens. Yeah. It's interesting because it's, like, right in the middle of the movie. We spend, like, half, like, it looks less, it, it looks like a bell curve. <laughs> You know, right in the middle is when he goes from like, oh, hey, I'm like not really sure of myself to, oh, hey, I'm just going to flip a car over. Yeah, like a badass. Um, And I think earlier I mentioned we we had talked about like how the movie is full of like these random coincidences that move the plot forward. And I'm always of the mindset that things should happen. Like if you're going to pull something out of your ass that happens randomly it should be to make the main character's life even worse. Mm. It should make the, the, the hero's journey more of a struggle. And the only time that doesn't happen in this movie is when they get pulled over after the first uh, hit that happens. They stuff the body in the trunk, and then they get pulled over by the police. And Vincent tells Max, if they find the body, I'm going to kill them, and we're going to continue on this journey. So do whatever you can to get out of this ticket. And the thing, it's basically, he's about to kill the cops, and then they get a call on the radio that there's been shots fired. And they're like, make sure you get this taken care of. It's such an annoyingly bad moment of writing to me. It, that's, that's the deus ex machina right there, where it's like, well, we got to save this guy. He can't, we can't end the movie 50 minutes in. I feel like there's too much of that in this movie. I mean, the, the whole entire crux of... He happened to have given Annie a ride earlier in the night is like that's just too that's much too much for me. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a that's lot of fair. too much. And I, I don't know as someone who normally harks on a lot of Deus Ex stuff, mm-hmm. um I feel like in 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 my head, um sure that they sure they could have came up with an entirely different scenario, maybe, to, to not have that problem. But it's an example of of um, Jamie not going through the change that he's trying to go through. Like, we see examples of him slowly transforming, and that's, like, the first instance of him, you know, starting to become more like 
Vincent, mm-hmm. and he fails, and you see the consequence of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, so so much like, oh, well, this this happened, so now something else is going to happen. It's crazy. And so much, like, people ignorance. Like, I'm just kind of almost laughing at, like, uh, uh, some of the dramatic irony, like getting in the elevator with, with the FBI guy or, like, oh, yeah, hey. Yeah, there is a lot of that. Oh, by the way, this movie has an entire subplot with the FBI trying to find this hitman who is Vincent. Mm-hmm. And it's Mark Ruffalo with a weird earring. Yeah, his whole look. I don't know. I, I think he's trying to be a Mexican, a vato. Yeah. Like he's trying to look like a like a homeboy, essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's, the whole fucking trope of oh, the FBI and the cops don't get along. Like I, oh I do my God. like that. It is like a red herring, though. By the end of the movie, where it's just like oh, none of that actually mattered because no. <laughs> well, he like, gets what? shot in the head when they felt fa- like. So they're watching the police. They're they're watching this guy's cab while he's outside the club, and no one goes to like instantly go raid the like. I don't think they're technically allowed to do something like that though. To go out and raid, I. I, I but that's it. It's over. Like, <laughs> just fucking pick the dude up. There's a court thing tomorrow. People are dying. I, and- I don't. Isn't there something where if you have legitimate concerns that someone is gonna get murdered, you can kind of intervene? Yeah. I don't know. Didn't that happen in Seven, though, when they were outside uh, John Doe's apartment? He's they didn't like, think <laughs> there was actively a live victim in there being murdered. That's fair. Yeah, like... Yeah, that part was weird, though. And then, uh, the fact that, like, there's the cop that comes to help Jamie Foxx afterward, after he does the whole car crash thing, and, oh, like, yeah. doesn't know that Jamie Foxx surely is literally the most wanted man in Los Angeles, <laughs> as this one police officer is like, oh, boy, howdy, you sure did flip your car. I hope you're okay. I feel like a cop wouldn't be that nice if you flipped your car. No. <laughs> no, there's so many things. I think uh, the, the most agreed, like, I, there's even more egregious things in terms of, like, being annoyed at that stuff. Um all of the gun waving that happened in that club while people were still dancing and not yeah. noticing that there was gun waving going around drove me bonkers. That's like a movie trope at this point, right? Where like someone has a gun and they're walking through a crowd in a club and it's just like, oh, it's so bumping, no one yeah. even noticed. It's so loud and dimly lit. <laughs> and then like that that motherfucker also had like an important deposition to go to tomorrow. He's just like partying at the club. <laughs> but but no, I, I, I think that if if I had to hang my hat on on one thing um because i I, i'm i I don't want to call it a bit but i mean i I think we've come to realize that i watch a lot of these things and struggle to suspend disbelief a little bit and then get caught up in in some of this stuff the fact that these motherfuckers are driving around la and there is no traffic on the road (laughs) is the single most implausible and confusing thing in the world just really late on a weeknight (laughs) it's it's 4 a.m I assumed it was like 12 to 3 that yeah. a majority. Have you ever been in downtown Los Angeles at midnight? Well, yeah, but <laughs> you're still like. Well, outside the club, I feel like it was kind of busy, right? A little bit. But then he proceeds to like run four red lights and like get on an off ramp and there's no cars anywhere. True. When he flips the car, there's like no one else around. Now, speaking of that dimly lit club, though, this movie is actually kind of a, a hallmark of, or I guess a benchmark indicating a transition in filmmaking from film cameras to digital cameras. And the reason why Michael Mann used both in this movie is for two different effects. All the night shots, uh, he wanted to use digital cameras so that obviously they do better at night. They have a better ISO. They can make things less grainy. That looks great. 
but for the club scenes, like 80% of this movie, I want to say, was shot on digital, but the brightly lit scenes in the clubs were done on film to look a little more rugged and a little grainier. And so it was just like one of the few times I think that we've come across so far where a director consciously chose two types of cameras for the purpose of making this film. And it, it suited the movie, I, I, I thought, pretty nicely. And I thought it was really cool that Michael Mann was like, no, this the lost city of Los Angeles is a character, so I want to make sure it's shot in the best way possible. I thought that was a neat little touch that he made. He, he's all for neat little touches and moments of realism after the, or during the second kill when Tom Cruise, or not Tom Cruise, when Max is tied up to a steering wheel and he's getting bullied by the thugs, Tom Cruise's character, Vincent, comes out, stops the thugs, and does like a double tap to them where he shoots them twice in the, sh in the chest and then once in the head. And apparently that's some, that, that clip in the movie is something that's shown as to like uh, professional firearms training people where it's like, this is what you should be striving to do. And Michael Mann's movies, he's all about the realism when it comes to gun use. He, I guess, hates it when guns don't work realistically. So he's all about, like, just this needs to be done accurately. And I, I appreciate that little touch. The whole, I, I would never, I guess, to button the, the, I would never notice the difference in the cameras. Mm. But I do, I did notice that um, all of Vincent's shots seem to be shot like on a track or a tripod where all of Max's were handheld, mm -hmm. which I thought was like a fun um, way to indicate their level of skill or their level of skill. Vincent is very stout and like concrete in his movement, whereas Max is very shaky and like, oh, I'm just flailing around. I, I like that. I li I'm glad you noticed something like that. And um, thank God you said something else. Uh, realistic guns realistic guns uh uh tom cruise's character always like that's just his train that's that's why he doesn't kill max at the end what do you mean because his a, everyone he kills in the movie it's to the chest and one of the head everyone across the board yeah and when he meets max in the subway car he goes to the chest but there's like a metal door in front of his chest so he, he shoots the door mm. and doesn't hit him and Max blindly fires. And, and Max does. I don't know why the scene goes dark there. Yeah, that was a weird, really weird scene. We're talking like, the end it, of the movie, by yeah. the way. <laughs> I, I, I can't. I, I had no idea why, like, all the lights in the subway went out only to come back on. Also, it's crazy to me that the blue line cars haven't changed in <laughs> 15 years. I've never been on one of those trains. Really? Yeah. Oh, man. It's the best way to go from now Santa Monica to, uh, to downtown Pico. Oh, good to know. Cole, was there one moment in this movie that you liked? Uh, well, there's a moment in the beginning where uh, Tom Cruise just looks at this coyote that I liked. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that happens but, a couple times in the movie. Yeah. There, there's a moment where he looks at the coyote, and then there's a part where they're driving through the city, and they come across the two coyotes then. I like, I like the coyotes. I like seeing the, the image of a coyote in Los Angeles is always a nice, like, touch of something wild in the city's... A, a trope I like. Um, I also, watching this movie, once I was like part of the way into it, realized I remembered this movie was a huge reference point when Los Angeles streetlights changed to LEDs. Oh. That happened pretty recently within the last like five or so years. And that, you know, changes what night 
in a city looks like if all your lights go from this warm, dingy yellow to this icy clinical gray. And Collateral was a movie that a lot of people talked about that like Los Angeles will never look like this ever again in a movie because everything's going to be washed out in gray if you shoot in L.A. at night now. I thought that was really interesting. And it does look not nostalgic, but it's it's as someone who moved to L.A. pretty recently, it's it looks different to me most of the time in most places. So interesting. I, mean, I, I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. I, I, we compared it to Drive a little bit earlier, but it's in direct contrast to that almost where Drive looks very clean. It's, it's view of L.A. is very clean. Mm. All the color is defined in the lighting where every every color has a shape almost. Whereas in Collateral, every color is almost amorphous, grungy, and it kind of has like that silhouette halo effect Mm -hmm. that happens, which is, again, like super film noir almost. And it kind of gets lost now in an era of like neo-noir. Yeah. Dude, was Collateral the last noir? (laughs) I like, uh, I think it's fun that you bring up like the wolf stuff because I like the idea that... um, it, it seems like the, the movie is is ripe with like um, with uh, like literary or movie making one hundred and one stuff like foreshadowing or callbacks and things like this because when when uh, when Max is talking about you know oh what happened to your car oh well a deer hit it and the cops are like there's no wild animals in the street of L A <laughs> like we resolve that other times in the movie when there's literally wild animals in the street of L A mm. and then uh, what else does it for it it also foreshadows. Um, Vincent dying on the train when he's telling the story. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's that, that's the cool. story of, uh, you know, that person. They're like, oh, people are just dead on the train for hours and no one noticed. And he's like yeah. dead on a train that's going on for hours, which is cool. That's how a did nice you? F- yeah, it is. How did you feel about, um, how do you feel about Jimmy Fox standing on the top of a, gr- a like, <laughs> the, 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 that is the, that's like the, the parking garage for the LA Convention Center. Uh-huh. Like across street from Staples Centers, looking at the quote DA's office, <laughs> seeing from so far away, <laughs> just his eyeballs, exactly where Jada Pinkett Smith is and exactly where Tom Cruise is. That's his, uh, his LA knowledge. His, it just goes. <laughs> Up several stories as well. He knows, he knows every parking structure yeah. in L.A. <laughs> that part I I definitely laughed at when he's like, oh, look, there she is. Oh, no, there he is, two floors yeah. above. There's I, a lot of stuff in this movie that I think I would be fine with if I felt like this movie was okay with being ridiculous and silly and fun mm-hmm. more. But it seems like a movie that takes itself so seriously that yeah. it, it will never admit that those moments are silly and that that's okay. And I think that's that's what frustrated that's me. That's a shortcoming for sure. The silliest part of the movie is him trying to throw a trash can at a glass door. <laughs> I'm glad that happened because it's definitely like, oh, he's still a dork. Also, <laughs> if if we were in a if we were in a, a video medium, I'd love to pull the clip of Tom Cruise like breaking the glass and then tripping over the office chair because I'm convinced that that was a real fuck up. That was a real fuck up and they d- Michael Mann decided to use it. That is like it looks great. Yeah, it's cool. I was like, I, I had the same thought. I was like, oh, he definitely messed that up. Yeah, he ate shit. But it looks cool because it's like an indicator that Max is now starting to get under his skin to some extent, and now that resolute professional is starting to falter a little bit, which well, I think is fun. And then when he gets to the train, and you know, he's not running on on a glider anymore. His cam is handheld. It's shaky. Shaky. If 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 I cut back real quick to to looking at up at the DA's office in the parking garage. Mm-hmm. 
I think the most criminal time of me being pulled out the movie is when Jamie Foxx is like, hold on, let me run down the street and up 16 flights of stairs <laughs> to come get you. Cab drivers are in shape, man. <laughs> the way... Is it not funny the way Tom Cruise runs? He runs very funny in all of his yeah. movies, and this is, is no that exception. Yeah, he always runs silly. Yeah, he 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 runs like not a human. Which you'd think a well-known actor who has a lot of action roles would have a variety of runs for different characters, but it's it's always just a Tom Cruise run. He probably has like a fucked up ankle or something because yeah. he does all his own stunts but all the so time. so much of it, the Tom Cruise run is in the arm, the arm movement. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's kind of... <laughs> Coral's actively cat <laughs> <laughs> Like, his body's made of only right angles. Mm-hmm. And just before we wrap this up a little bit, I, I just have a quick question of, do we think this movie would have been better or more interesting if the big twist at the end of Act 2 is that the next target is just someone random? Or is it more important that it's Jada Pinkett Smith? I, I did not like the choice of it to be Jada Pinkett Smith. It, is it necessary? I, I don't think so. I don't think so either. And I think especially the, the they flirted for a bit, so maybe that's motivation for him to care more. Like, that all seemed, that felt wrong to me. It's more of a stretch than I think the movie is has earned yeah and i feel like part of jamie fox's the important thing about him is that he is an everyman so that that care and that drive should be reflected in it being a random person a random angelina or something it Mm -hmm. i the fact that he there's this implied motivation because it's this important person he already knows in some way or had some flirtation of a feeling for i found frustrating it's almost that reverse of the like the woman's only agency is the man she loves mm-hmm. or vice versa and it's like you don't i don't think you need that in this movie like the point his arc is being able to stand up for himself so why would you make his arc be predicated on standing up for himself because someone else is in trouble could you imagine falling so madly in love with someone over the course of 30 minutes that you fucking Decide to put a gun in a police officer's <laughs> and, then, and then handcuff him to the car that you just flipped over and attempt to murder yourself. To be fair, none of and us have then, ever been in a cab with Jada Pinkett Smith. I, I haven't. I've met her. You have? Yeah. How many cops did you assault? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can't tell you. There's a whole fucking <laughs> half of the LAPD where they had to do a bunch of rehires. <laughs> I was going after Jada Pinkett. I also destroyed the DA's office. <laughs> but... I, I mean, kind of, Nick, I kind of agree with you. I wrote about a quarter of the way into this movie on my notes, he's going to try and kill Jada. <laughs> <laughs> it's, right, it's right here. I they, mean, that would have been a crazy role for her if she was just there in the beginning <laughs> and then never showed up again. <laughs> but I would have been stoked about that, you know? I would have been like, all right, here we go. That's great. It's like Drew Barrymore getting killed in the beginning of Scream. <laughs> throws everyone off because they don't know what to do when the star yeah. of the movie disappears. Yeah, it's, it's like, I don't know. Uh, poor Jada. She did a lot of running in high heels after she was running for her life. God. I'm like, motherfucker, those are high. I can't imagine. The m- <laughs> right? Do, Coral, I don't often wear high heels. I, you don't really either. I don't either. You really don't either. No. But the probability of someone running for their lives in high heels is probably 
marginally higher for you. But I think. Do you my think you kicked them off? My immediately. <laughs> <laughs> the five the five seconds I would lose trying to take my shoes off would immediately be gained by the fact that I could run without breaking both of my ankles. <laughs> but power to her. That's not a skill most women have. I'm gonna say. I wonder if she had to practice that. You probably have yeah. to. She was still almost doing like a full sprint in fucking heels on that set. So I've seen some women who can actually run pretty quickly in heels, mm-hmm. but it's like, I, that's a very interesting skill you develop. <laughs> I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be a murdered in an office. That's true. What if, what if, like, the movie, I think that's the time the movie takes the most fun action-y scene for me, is, 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 is when it almost gets, when it almost becomes a horror movie for three minutes in the office. Mm. You like that part? I'm like, oh, this, this actually feels like uh, suspense or action or horror or something that's not just like a character study. Because a lot of the time, a lot of the shots they do for Tom Cruise in that part are really cool. Yeah. Coming in from the side or like panning up to, to see him, it makes him really, you know, make him more demonic. And then I think that's almost instantly contradicted with the fact that at the end he decides not to kill Max. Hmm. Do you think he kills? Do you think he just got lucky in not killing Max, or he got unlucky in not killing Max? No, no, no. Oh, well, I think he made a mistake by shooting the door, which was where his chest would be, which mm. is how what he normally does. But after that, he like he could like he's still standing up and functioning, and like has more bullets in a clip. And he just he's like in in my mind, it's oh, like I don't need to kill them like none of the kills he's doing is out of like spite or a mission or because he's like some 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 really like serial killer person like he's just doing a job and as soon as he knows that he's gonna die like there's no point in killing them he's not gonna get paid for it there's no reason to be vindictive about it like this is just his job and he's going to die. There's no, there's no reason to kill them. He doesn't take anything personal in either direction. Yeah. Which, which I think is fun because if, you, if you're trying to completely villainize him, then you probably make him more spiteful and want to just take other people down with him. But even through, even in death, he has the wherewithal to be like, hey, man, it's just a job. Yeah. I think that's probably a more accurate depiction of I mix up psychopath and sociopath, but whichever one of those where you just lack empathy. Sociopath. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now I'm confused at myself. <laughs> um, Why are you confused at yourself? What about which one's which? Oh, okay. It's November. <laughs> November. <laughs> uh, one of the fun things about the movie was how it really showcases the era that it was made in with the use of like cell phones mm-hmm. and just like, like Coral said, the, the street lights, but also the music choices. Oh, I really <laughs> don't like the score in this movie. It's really bad. It's really bad. <laughs> it's like not Linkin Park singing in between like driving through LA, which in 2004 was probably rad. Yeah. But man. Audio Slave. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's like, aud- is it yeah. Audio Slave? I think, yeah, I think there is an Audio Slave song pretty oh. early on. Oh, uh, before I forget, I did take a note of this too. Um, I don't know why I have to like mention that I took notes. Like, there's really paper here. I promise I did. <laughs> um, doing, doing homework. Um, I was blown away in a shot at a gas station in the background, and the price of gas was um, $1.46. Oh. 
I remember a time when that was the case, yeah. I don't think it was actually that low in 2004. Probably not. I'm pretty it might sure have been. it wasn't. But the fact that gas was less than $2, I was like, this almost dates it to me more than, <laughs> more than the cell phones. Yeah. Man, what a world that used to be. But, um, yeah, I, I guess... I guess I liked this movie. I liked it, I think, more than anything else we've seen so far. Wow. And I think a big reason for that. <laughs> you are Vincent. No. <laughs> I know. You're, you're that teenage boy who <laughs> watches yeah, it once. One, I resent that you said that. <laughs> you're like feeding that into coral. Like, I'm not that broken, even if you both think that I am a little bit. Um, <laughs> Maybe. Um, and I, when I was watching that movie, I can, I can just like telepathically think about you thinking about me projecting myself on Vincent. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> this isn't true. I am a little nihilistic. <laughs> but like, not like that. Would you rank this above seven? Yeah, I, I I think that I think that this is my favorite movie that we've watched first. It's a, and then seven, and then um, I guess for reference, Jurassic Park still at the bottom. So I think we're at the point in Joey hates movies where I've figured out exactly what Joey wants. <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> um, I I I made a I made a short list of movies that I have never seen, but have always been like. I guess willing to see or at least mm. gently interested in. I came up with seven, which <laughs> yeah. seems comic- seven movies, not the film. Comically seven. small, right? Yeah. I, I I went through hundreds of movies and recommendations, and I came out with I think seven movies that I either haven't seen, have been tangentially interested in, and guess how many of them were set in Los Angeles? All of them. Almost. <laughs> Basically all of them. What? So I think that I and, – and I, and I mean, I, I guess I, I don't want to make too light of it, and maybe this takes, like, some weird self-analysis for me <laughs> to, to look into later. But um, I, I think that's a reason why I liked this maybe more than it was deserved because of the setting mm-hmm. and my personal connection to it because I thought all three characters were were fun and because I think it – wasn't I didn't watch it like as a thriller and action movie. I really quickly started looking at it from as a character study part mm-hmm. and and I was into what was going on with with the 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 foiling arcs of of the two people. Yeah. I don't disagree. So that was Joey Hates Movies on Collateral. Coral, what is your pick for the Hold next on, wait, What is your number one pick? Unfortunately, you are itching. It is not my turn to pick because <laughs> we decided to do a terrible thing. <laughs> no, this is your personal recommendation. It is not my personal recommendation. But we decided before the Oscars that we were going to watch the best picture of 2018. And then we told everyone that so we couldn't even hide it. Yeah. So, Coral, what is the best movie released in 2018? (laughs) I've heard the best thing was Green Book. So we're going to watch Green Book. So hear me out. At least this is is a little cool, right? (laughs) (laughs) We just got to watch a movie about a black dude driving a white guy around. 
<laughs> and now we're going to get to watch a movie about a white dude driving a black guy around. Yeah. That's actually not a... That's, that's both genres of film, so... <laughs> <laughs> There's only one kind of movie about race, and it usually involves one race driving another. I, I think... I think Collateral might have like some weird racial undertones that I feel like I can't properly analyze as a white male, um, which I which is why I didn't go into it. For so it'll be interesting. I feel like there's at least illusions that we can make between both episodes. Right? I, I don't disagree at to making illusions, um, but I, I never really felt that Collateral made a statement about race in any meaningful way. Um, is the base fact that the black guy is the cab driver and the white dude is the hitman? J- just that. That that's the only thing. Mm-hmm. That that'd be the only thing. Um, I, I thought it was more interesting that there were Mexicans in the movie, and I, I thought that was a more interesting thing that the black man knew Spanish. I think Vincent's mode of of uh, his attitude towards other people, his specific streak of sociopathy and superiority, is a very uh, white male. Mm-hmm. aspect i don't think his character would would make as much sense in a literary concept if it was a woman or a man of color that makes He's sense a very white man i can i can respect and appreciate snaps. that I'll yeah snap, i'll snap to that yeah that makes a lot of sense um so we gotta watch so, green book <laughs> which is is that gonna prove logistically difficult do i have to like go to a theater no you can, can yeah. i steal it off the internet i haven't I mean, looked you could probably we'll find out we're, we're gonna... i have access to a blu-ray copy i say while i finger quote in the air i do actually have access to a blu-ray copy we we were all sent screeners because we're all in the academy yeah we're all we're all important film people yeah god what a crazy i i hope for nothing more than um x period of time away from now we can look back on that quote, Coral, and laugh because we all are in the Academy and have screeners. I just want free movies, please. Are they all sent out in like 480 or something, though? No, you can get you can pay to get Blu-ray now, apparently. Oh, okay. But otherwise, you're saying I would, 480? I would be really mad if I got sent a DVD copy of a I think that's, that's what they do. No, but but you can like pay when you're a member of the academy to get the Blu-ray version yeah. as well. Is it like a fee where you have to like get all Blu-rays or no Blu-rays, or can you pick which ones you want? I, I think you get them stuff? all. That's <laughs> the purpose. You gotta watch them all. You're supposed to watch them all and then vote, but we know that never happens. Um, yeah. So let us know in the comments. Uh, fuck, I feel like a YouTuber now. That's disgusting. Uh, let us know in the comments uh, what, what, what you thought about this. Um, and also, if you are excited or not excited for the Green Book and if you've already watched it. Um, I think the week after, or the week, um, we're also going to put up a poll on Patreon to go for um, for you guys to decide. We, you guys should actually comment your ideas on this video because if, if we do the poll and we figure it out, then we can announce at the end of our Green Book recording what the yes. next movie is. So. Get thinking. So leave your suggestions in the comment below. And for those of you who are wondering, hey, what the hell is Patreon.com? Well, funny you should yeah, ask. I'm like listening to this on Spotify because it's like on Spotify now. And or like iTunes. Or iTunes. Or Stitcher. Is it on Fuck, Stitcher? We got it. Man, we didn't talk about this. We got to like have something for people to like leave, leave a review on iTunes or something. What do you mean? Like a gimmick? 
Yeah, I think we need some kind of like a like a gimmick to try and encourage people to do that. I know that 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 the core of people will do it anyways because they love us. But like a gimmick, maybe we can we can think of. Listen, if you want the show to grow and you want more people to hear it, One, you're gonna give ra- us money. Two, give us a re- give us money. Give us five stars. If you give us anything less than five stars, we don't get surface to as many people. If you want us to succeed, you'll leave us five stars. But I kid. Just leave us a review. It's fine. And uh, if you are interested in making sure an operation like this continues, go ahead and back us over on patreon.com slash cybergarbage. Your contribution helps us make not only this show, but also a very silly show called Cyber Garbage that we do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And it's very dumb and very different than this show. <laughs> and almost zero crossover. It's like a media outlet, you know? We do a lot of different things. Or, if gaming's more your speed, why not join Joey and I on our Garbage Game Club where we play through a game and then we talk about it at length. It's like this podcast that you're listening to, but for games. Imagine, like, we have two formats that are based off Oprah's Book Club. Exactly. Go us. This is all book reports. Hear me out. Ah, Man, and I like book reports. Now that's weird. Um, Four-year-old me is mad. Fourth grade me is mad. Excuse me. It's November. Um, uh, what if, shit pitch, um, people le- leave a rating and a review and comment with their least favorite movie and why? Why? <laughs> well, I mean, it's a podcast about, in theory, me hating movies. So maybe it's interesting to get a perspective on movies that some of our fans didn't like. Hmm. Okay. I like that. So go ahead and leave your hated movie. Yeah, go with fi- five stars. Fi- nothing less than five stars. And tell us. Tell, tell us what Are you're we allowed to say that? What? Are we allowed to say I that? I think so. I you're, mean, a lot of people. I've, I know a lot of people You're allowed to. Okay. Um, and at what point do you think we're going to get in this podcast where we purposefully select a bad movie? Oh. Well, are we not? Can we argue that we might be doing that with Green Book? Or can you not see that it's not bad because it won? I, I it don't won think we, best picture. I don't think we intentionally picked it, though. It is the best movie of 2018, Joey. I don't know what yeah, you're it's talking a bunch of old white guys. <laughs> I think we might get to a point where I pick a movie I know I don't like, but I think that you will like. Interesting. Well, well we, we got a lot of things to do. I, I, think, my, I think my goal is to do um, one a month, and if we can do more, that's rad. Let's do it. So that means we got to find a way to watch the Green Book. And you, I guess you do too. Watch Green Book. Let us know what five you stars of the best movie of 2018. <laughs> Leave us five stars. Peace out. Bye. Like you can clean those and keep them as a good as a good B yeah, pair. I'm not gonna throw them away. It's a, it's a good B pair. They've also lasted a good while. Yeah, I really like these shoes. How are it feel like? I mean, I guess you do wear your other shoes quite a bit. You like rotate through four or five, like three or four pairs. Yeah. But it seems like you've kept those nice for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like these. They spent too much money on them, but you know, well, I gotta get all I can out of them. Yeah.
But if you throw them, will they always land heel side up? Is that oh, is that actually real with the van? Well, yeah. Oh, I saw that on. But people don't yeah. like it's like they're designed to have heavy bottoms. Oh, that didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Shall cool. we begin? Yeah, we're recording. Hey, oh, we're welcome recording. to okay. Joey. I no, I had my shoes back on. I can smell my own feet. Oh God. See, look at the audio clipped out for me on the headphones. It's not the mic. No, oh. yeah, I didn't hear it clip out at all or anything. It's so annoying. I'm always incredibly concerned about the uh, the smell of my feet. Mm. Why? Hyper self-conscious about it. Are they very smelly? I mean, I would say they're above average, mm. but not like multiple standard deviations out. Do you there. wash between your toes? Of course. I, I mean, my, my, I feel like I, I properly take care of my feet, but they're also sweat factories. Like, I buy special socks to, like, help with the moisture problem. They, they're just nonstop. It's like Niagara Falls in my vans every day. 